Thank you, Marcus. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for those songs. Uh, yesterday I saw Daniel, and he asked me, What's, what are you going to preach about? What are you going to talk about? Um, to, try to, to try to pick some songs that go with the message, and I told him, well, we're talking about us being stewards of God's grace. And he said, oh, that's funny. He said, just last night I was practicing Marvelous Grace because I was going to play that one. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, we serve an awesome God. Uh, but it's good to be here. Welcome everyone, especially our visitors. And I got to say welcome, a special welcome uh, to a childhood friend of mine. Nevin, Nevin Mass is back here with your wife. Is it Cynthia? Okay, welcome, welcome here. We're, we're glad you could be here with us. Our message this morning is a, a pretty simple one. Um, but we'll keep going in Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. But before we, before we go there... I'd like for us to get some context and see who was, who was Paul writing to? What was, what was it like back then? What, did, what were these people dealing with? What, what was going on? So this was really interesting to me, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time here, and I'd like us to note the similarities between uh, ancient Ephesus and modern-day America. So Ephesus is written to believers to the church. That's in Ephesus. Ephesus is a port city uh, in what's modern-day Turkey on the Mediterranean Sea, and at the time it was known to be the most important trading center in the Mediterranean region. So it was a really happening place. It was a diverse culture. There's all, all kinds of people from all kinds of different different walks. Uh, Ephesus was known, it was the home to the temple of Artemis, which was this massive, massive temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, uh, who was later known as the Greek goddess Diana. In fact, it was so big, it was, and just majestic, it was known as one of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, and I believe Marcus would probably know, is there still remains from that temple today? Ephesus was home of the great theater of Ephesus. Uh, this was the largest amphitheater in Asia Minor. Uh, they use this theater for concerts, plays, religious, political, and philosophical discussions, as well as gladiator and animal fights. Um, and at this theater is where, if you remember the story in Acts, when Paul went to Ephesus, he's preaching the gospel. All these, all these people are being converted. And Demetrius, a silversmith who made things out of silver, he made coins with the god Artemis on it. He saw this, all these, Paul, Paul said, uh, gods that are made with, with hands are not gods. So he's essentially, Demetrius saw this, Paul's taking business away from him, and he started a riot. Well, this riot was at, was at the theater. 
uh, let's, I'm going to look at, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Timothy 1, chapters 9 to 11. So Paul's writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. So Timothy's in Ephesus, Paul isn't. But listen to, what's, listen to what he tells about what's going on there. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mother, mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, which is drugs, they were enslaved to drugs, liars, perjurers, which is lying under oath, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Excuse me. Got a bit of the sniffles, so you're going to have to put up with that today. So Paul's writing to believers to the church in a, in a culture of the following. We have economic success, religion, education, politics, idol worship, high taxes, sports, riots. We call them protests. False prophets, sexual immorality, homosexuality, drugs, liars, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That sounds to me a lot like what we're in right now. Oh, and by the way, the Hellenistic wall, there was even a wall around parts of Ephesus. Imagine that. I'd like to look at, at, real quick here, at Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and this was a revelation given by Christ to John. So this, was, this is Christ talking to, uh, they wrote one each to each of the seven churches of Asia Minor, and Ephesus was one of them. And listen to, what, listen to what Christ says to Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your, page, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now I had to wonder, the fact that they abandoned their first love, could that have had anything to do with all the distractions and noise and other options and other things to do. And could we have those same tendencies today? I think we can. And I think I've experienced some of that. There's lots of things, lots of options. But, so Paul's writing to a church, to people living in times much like ours. Let's look... Look at what he says. And I'll read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the son, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now what, what, what word jumps out? at you in that passage, anyone. It's kind of a mysterious word. Thank you, mystery. Mystery's in there a lot. So in verses 1 to 4, Paul is given this mystery. I'm just going to read those again. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... By the way, Paul's actually in prison in Rome when he writes this to the Ephesians. But he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, I think Paul recognized who his authority was. It wasn't Rome. It wasn't Rome he's worried about. It's Christ. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now, this was no... Sherlock Holmes mystery. This isn't something that Paul figured out through smarts. Uh, he's very clear. This is a this mystery was revealed to him. It was given to him uh, by a revelation from God. Uh, let's look at verse five, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this mystery, this big secret, has been hidden from everyone before now. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 says, Prophets studied and sought to know when Jesus would come and the things that would follow after, but could not because it was not revealed. Even the angels didn't fully understand it. So this was a great, great mystery to them at this time. So what is this mystery? And that's in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is that God's plan of salvation is not only for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. It's for everyone. For God so loved the world, right? It's for everyone. Now, it's important to understand in Old, in Old Testament times, the idea that Jews and Gentiles would be part of the same body was just silly. Um, that was absurd. The, the Jews were God's chosen people, and 
they knew it and they liked it. And the Gentiles weren't supposed to be. And it's true. Uh, the Jews were God's chosen people. He chose, he chose them to bring forth the Messiah. Um, but then the great mystery is this Messiah is not only for the Jews, he's for everyone. All people are made one in Christ. Marcus touched on this last Sunday. What, what is, what's the devil's goal? What does he want to do to us? Anyone remember? Divide. What's, what's Christ's purpose? What's his goal? To unify. He came to make, he came to make all, all people one. So as I, I was thinking about this, we say, well, that, this is old news to us. Of course, we, I knew all this. But there, there's an even deeper mystery here. And that's the mystery of God's grace. See, the Jews didn't deserve God's grace. The Gentiles certainly didn't. And you and I didn't. See, we have this entitlement attitude. We're, we're kind of entitled. Of course, of course God loves me. Of course I get that grace. You know, I grew up in church being taught this. I grew up singing Jesus loves me, this I know. So of course I know that. God loves us. But he didn't have to. He chose to. God, God chooses to love a fallen man. And even though because he is a just God and we deserve judgment and death, God gives us grace. See, let's go back to the beginning. God creates man in his own image. He creates man in his own image. We're created after the image of God. For what purpose? Did he need friends? I think he is a, a relational God. I think that's what he wants from us, is a relationship but ultimately, he created us to bring himself glory. First Peter 4.11 says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. So God creates man for a purpose. Man violates this purpose over and over and over again. Man sins and turns everywhere but to God, to what we were created what we were created for. Yet God chooses to love man and to redeem them. See, God's grace is a great mystery, to me at least. And I think Paul realizes this. See, Paul, or actually was Saul at this time, grew up a lot like we did. He grew up going to church and singing Jesus Loves Me and trying to do what's right, what he thought was right. In fact, he was very zealous. But everything changed for Paul. When did everything change? On the road to Damascus, right? Paul experienced God's grace. 
and it drastically changed his life. I'd like to get back to our text a little bit now. In this text, how, how, does, how does Paul see himself? What's, what's Paul's response to having, to having been given God's grace? And we find that in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul sees himself as a steward of God's grace. Now, the definition of stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, Paul was entrusted with spreading, spreading the message, spreading the revelation that was given to him, that God gave him. And he, he took it seriously. Uh, in fact, it cost him his life in the end. He was beheaded. I believe, believe Paul's ultimate goal is found in verse 9. That is, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why? Verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, our redemption is ultimately for the purpose of making God's glory known to all his creation everyone, to the whole world. I'd like to read yet verses 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul was a faithful steward of what God gave him. He's a faith, faithful steward of God's grace. Did you know that we're called to be stewards of what we've been given? And we've been given that very same grace that Paul experienced that drastically changed his life. I think when we realize what we've been given, it changes everything for us, too. It's no longer just about me. Paul says, Let's, Paul says not to lose heart over what he's suffering. So I say to us, let's not... Let's not lose heart. Let's not lose our first love like the Ephesians did. Yeah, we, we fall and we stumble and we have failures and we make a mess of things. Um, 
But God's grace moves us beyond our failures. His grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. So thank you for listening. That's all, Marcus. I'll turn it over to you.